If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I will begin reading in verse 43 as we continue to walk through verse by verse the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 5, 43. We will study the commands and standards of God today. The commands and standards of God. Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Praise God for his holy word. Please be seated. So as we continue to study this marvelous sermon that the Lord has provided for us, in the most simplest of words, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is sitting on a mountain teaching his disciples how they are to live. Jesus simply opened his mouth, he taught them, and the disciples and the others who were gathered at his feet, they listened. And this simple truth needs to be an active pursuit in our life. Maybe you're thinking about your present level of spiritual maturity, your age, the number of degrees that maybe you have received from institutions on this earth, your IQ. None of these matter. We all have a great need of sitting before our all-knowing Savior, reading his holy word, and submitting ourselves to his word as truth and living by it. These six you have heard, but I say to you statements, they are not difficult to understand, but our, our calling, his command to us as his children is to obey what he has spoken and not just understand what he has said. Jesus Christ is not just a teacher or a prophet. Jesus Christ is God. The weight of his words come with the highest authority, for he reigns supreme. We are to know the words that Jesus Christ has said and live by them. We are to recognize the mere thoughts of men that we hear. And we are to cling to and live on what God has breathed. For example, we are in statement six. Statement one, when men and women talk about murder, let us also remember the words of Christ about anger as well. When adultery is spoken of, let us not forget his words concerning lust. When divorce is brought up, remember God's design and purpose for marriage. One man and one woman in a covenant relationship under God till death do us part. What God has joined together, let not man separate. When words spring forth from our mouth, let us dare not forget who we belong to. That we are to be promise keepers. Men and women of integrity, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. Let us not respond to evil with evil. 
but remember the cross of Christ and be governed by it. Let us be generous, unselfish, and serve for the glory of God. And today, we say the sixth statement, something that is often overlooked and ignored. Matthew 5, verse 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I will divide our text this morning into two truths. Truth number one, the commands of God are to be followed. The commands of God are to be followed. And truth two, the standards of God are to be our standards. The standards of God are to be our standards. So let's look at truth one. The commands of God are to be followed. Once again, we find that the Jews were declaring something that was incorrect and not breathed out by God. When I hear these words, I often go back to the New Testament. I'm reminded in Acts where Paul is traveling and he is teaching the truth and he comes across and he finds these Bereans and he called them good Bereans because they they listened to what was being said and they examined the scriptures to see if it was so. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy is not the law that was given by God in the Old Testament Scriptures, and yet that is what was being taught. Leviticus 19, verse 18, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. The command from God is to love your neighbor as yourself. Do to others as you would want done to you. Nowhere in Scripture do you find love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Our love for our neighbor is to extend even to our enemies. For the word neighbor, it encompasses all of humanity. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're asking yourself, well, I know who my neighbors are, you're you're missing the point. Our neighbor is everyone. If we start probing and asking, well, how much do I have to do? You're missing the point. You're missing the command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. You were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. So the Lord was calling the Jews to love the Gentile strangers with this command. Don't do wrong to the strangers who are among you. Love the strangers as you love yourself. Remember your past. You were once strangers, and the Lord loved you. Follow the example of God. Love the strangers among you. Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. If your enemy is hungry... Give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and Yahweh will reward you. See, God's love extends to his enemies. And as Christians, his children, our love is to do the exact same. We do not overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. We are never told as the children of God to do evil, but we are told to love our enemies. The Jews at the time of Christ were teaching, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And this is not the same as hating evil. We are not to hate those made in the image of God, but we are to hate evil and sin. 
Psalm 5, 4 through 6, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Yahweh abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So God does not delight in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with Yahweh. He is holy. God hates all evildoers. God hates all who do iniquity. We do not find a command from God in these words that we are to hate our enemies. Someone might bring up, what about the Psalm of David? It's a great question. Psalm 139, 21 and 22. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Yahweh? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And David also said in Psalm 26, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. Now, does God hate sin? Yes. Does God hate evildoers? Yes. Do the Scriptures tell us as His creatures to hate our enemies? No. David hated those who rose up against the Lord, but God does not command us to hate our enemies. Daniel Dornai declared, The Bible never commands us to hate individual enemies, but there is a place for righteous wrath toward God's settled enemies. On Judgment Day, we will rejoice at their downfall, for their end is inseparable from the victory of God and His saints. Thus, when we view the wicked as a class from an internal perspective, our love for them ceases. In daily life, however, we have no right to adopt the eternal perspective. The man standing before us may be wicked, but we do not know whether he will repent or not. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The Lord commands us to love our enemies. Now, there are four types of love. Let's review the four types of love, and then I'll tell you which love he is speaking of here. Love number one is eros. This is a sexual or romantic love, a love reserved only for husband and wife. The second love is storge. This is love for family. It is a family love in which we are supposed to have. The third is Phileo, friendship love, brotherly love, a strong affection. And fourth is agape. Agape is the divine love of God. It's known as God's love. A unconditional, continual, and sacrificial love. The love of Christ on the cross. The most powerful love that there is. The love that seeks the highest welfare of others. And the love that we are to have for our enemies is agape love. This is not an emotional, in-the-moment love. This is not a feel-good or impulsive love. This is a divine love that God shows up, us, a love in which we are to have for our enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
So the greatest love that exists is to be the love that we are to have for and show to our enemies. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And the Lord comes along and he corrects him and says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we are to love our enemies and pray for them. You know, the fifth statement taught us not to retaliate, but not retaliating is not the end goal. We don't remain neutral because we don't retaliate. We are to love. God expects his children to love. God expects his children to pray. We will study more of this in Matthew chapter 6. But here we learn we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. As a child of God, I am, I am sure that you talk to the Lord. But do you pray for your enemies? Do you pray for those who persecute you? Do you pray for God to save sinners? Do you pray for boldness to talk to them about the Lord? An opportunity that will result in God saving them? Do you pray for all who persecute you? Christian and non-Christian. Do you pray for those who persecute you? God does not instruct us to love only those who are easy to love. Only love those that you get along with is not the command. Love those that you approve of, that's not the command. Love those who are like you, that's not the command. Pick and choose who you love, that's not the command. We are to love our enemies. We are to love the atheist and the agnostic. We are to love the prostitute, the homosexual, the murderer, and the adulterer. Now, loving them has nothing to do with approving of what they believe and what they do. The command is to love them and to pray for them. John MacArthur says, Agape love is the greatest virtue of the Christian life. Yet that type of love was rare in pagan Greek literature. That's because the traits agape betrays unselfishness, self-giving, willful devotion, concern for the welfare of others were mostly disdained in ancient Greek culture as signs of weakness. However, the New Testament declares agape to be the character trait around which all others revolve around. See, in the New Testament, often when agape love is used, it's concerning Jesus Christ, it's concerning the cross, it's concerning his death, it's concerning his penal substitutionary atonement. John 3, verse 16, for example. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his only son. Romans chapter 5. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the agape love. Ephesians 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Christ is teaching his disciples how they are to live. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
If we are going to love our enemies, we need to know the Lord and the agape love that He has for us. Did you know that the more that you and I understand the Lord, the more that you and I understand how we are to live? Have you all ever made that connection? Like you can't, you can't just cut one, like this is knowing the Lord, and then this is, this is God's word, and this is how I live. Like they're connected. If, we, if we're going to love our enemies, we need to know the Lord and the agape love that he has for us. How can we love our enemies as a children of God if we do not comprehend the great love that he has for us as his children? We need to spend our lives knowing the Lord and taking hold of his abounding, steadfast love. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? See, God's sons and daughters are to love their enemies. They're to love as God loves. God's love is given to the evil and to the good. The sun rises on the evil and the good. Rain comes on the just and the unjust. God's love extends to his enemies. God has a special love for his bride, no doubt, but his common grace extends to all. Matthew 5, 46 and 47, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? You know, tax collectors, they love those who love them. God's children are commanded to love their enemies. Gentiles greet brothers. God's children are called to more. They are called to love their enemies. Is not our righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees? If we only do what the evil tax collectors or Gentiles do, there will be no reward. It is, not a possible, it is not a possibility. It is not a high probability that Christians will live different lives. They will live different lives 100% because they have been given a new heart by the Lord. Matthew 5, verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Lord is not speaking to that of people that he picks up and then he brushes them off slightly and he says, now go live this way. The Lord picks them up, he gives them a new heart, and they live differently because they live for him. God's children, they are not called to circle the wagons and watch the world burn. They are called to holiness. They are the light of the world. They are the salt of the earth. They are called to action. They are called to love their enemies. We don't sit back in a state of neutrality and comfort and do nothing. We love our enemies. What does this love look like? What do you mean by loving your enemies? First, we must look to Savior Jesus Christ, or these words will sound awfully weird. We look at the life of Christ, the actions of Christ, the words of Christ, the responses of Christ. We're to be governed by the life and the cross of Jesus Christ. Agape love involves our attitude as well as our actions. But if our attitude is not in line with the Lord, our actions won't be either. John Calvin said, The charity which God requires in his law looks not 
at what a man has deserved, but extends itself to the unworthy, to the wicked, and the ungrateful. You see, when you and I come to the knowledge and the truth and remembrance that we are the undeserved, that we are the unworthy, that we are the wicked, that we are the ungrateful, we can therefore go because of God's grace and love our enemies because we were once an enemy of the Lord. 1 John 4 declares that his children will love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. I love those words. It's not that we would just We would just sit and know we would live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 Corinthians 13, well known. This tells us what agape love does. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So it's not if you don't love, you're neutral. If you don't love, you're annoying. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As are prophecies, they will, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. John MacArthur also said, Above all, agape love is the love that God is, that God demonstrates, and that God gives. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now these words are not the opinion of a well-known teacher. Neither are they an option for us to consider. These are words in which God has breathed. The Son of God has commanded us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Truth one, the commands of God are to be followed. And truth two, the standards of God are to be our standards. Look at Matthew 5, verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This verse might seem out of place at first glance, but I assure you it's not. 
If we go back and we're looking at all these different things, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you statements, we are not to murder, nor are we to have unrighteous anger. We are not to commit adultery, nor are we to lust. We are not to divorce except on the ground of sexual immorality. We are to live according to God's design for marriage. We are not to swear falsely, but be men and women of the truth. We are not to hate our enemies, but love our enemies. We are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. What is our standard? Perfection. R.C. Sproul said the standard that God demands of his people is his own perfect character. God's perfection includes the love of benevolent grace. Although we cannot attain such perfection in this life, it is the goal pursued by all those who have become children of the Father. That is what they are pursuing as God's children. God's standard is perfection. Anything less would be wrong, for God cannot set an imperfect standard for those made in His image. It would be evil for God to desire us to not please Him fully in all things. I mean, we know the verse, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and they are justified by His grace as a gift, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Why did Christ come? Why did Christ die? Because we fall short of the glory of God. The standard is not falling short. Yes, we have sinned. We have fallen short. But we are to be holy as God is holy. A pursuit of God's children is to be that of personal holiness. The pursuit of God's children will be personal holiness. Leviticus 11, I am Yahweh your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. I am Yahweh who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This past year, I've been reading through the Bible chronologically, and it's been wonderful each day to dive into God's Word and to be reminded of all these things. And in reminding, God says, I will make a covenant with you. I have heard your cries out of Egypt. I will deliver you. And you hear over and over and over again, I am not delivering you so you can do what you want to do. I'm delivering you so that you will worship me. I will be your God and you, you will be my people. That God's children are called to holiness. Now we've all fallen short of God's standard, but God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to save sinners because Christ meets the standard. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if we are in Christ, the Lord sees the perfect righteousness of Christ when he looks at us because our faith is grabbing hold of it. So in Christ, we find perfection. In Christ, we find that the standard is met. Paul understood this. The church in Philippi in which he planted, he said this, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because it's surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. May the Lord bring that to us as well. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. 
the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection, that I may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Are we sinless? No. Are we perfect? No. But if we are in Christ, the standard is met. And as God's children, we are to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what that means is we are marching home. One of our jobs in marching home is to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute against us. Because a pursuit of God's children is that a personal holiness. And personal holiness involves us loving our enemies. This sermon being taught by Jesus is driving that audience to him, just like the law of God drove them to Christ. We cannot keep the law. Christ has kept the law. We cannot be perfect, but Christ is perfect. As we rest in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we are to image him by loving our enemies. Oswald Chambers said, The Master expects from His disciples such conduct as can be explained only in terms of the supernatural. Maybe you're thinking, I have enough trouble with people driving on the highway, not blowing up, going crazy. How in the world do you expect me to love those who are actually my enemies and God's enemies? It's a supernatural thing in which the Holy Spirit produces in the life of His children, but we also need to hold dear to the command in which we are to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute against us. Ephesians 4 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, there's a period there. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. It doesn't say dot, 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 unless. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'll go back again to the cross of Christ. Christ has been beaten. He has been whipped. He has been crucified. He has been hung up. He is watching them roll dice for his clothing. And he says, Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. If you need an example of forgiveness, an example of loving your enemies, you not only have that, but in a few moments, Christ was going to fully drink the wrath of God to save sinners. As fallen creatures, we are often satisfied with loving our friends, our family, loving our neighbors, and loving those who love us. But the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, call us to go above and beyond. They call us to love as Christ loved. Right. 
We are to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. We are to imitate Christ. We don't stand and demand our rights. We stand and we love because we're trying to please Christ. So how are you loving your enemies? Are you even praying for those who are your enemies? Are you praying for those who are persecuting you? Do you desire your enemies to become family? A great way in loving your enemies is going to them and proclaiming the gospel. When we go out to Tarrant County College, we don't go out there because you know, we approve of how people are living their lives. We go out there and we talk to them because we do not approve how they're living their lives and we want them to be saved. So we proclaim the gospel. Christ has commanded us to love our enemies and he has commissioned us to go into the world and to make disciples. You know, when Christ returns, it won't be enough for us to look at our Savior and say, Jesus, I memorized what you said. I memorized the Great Commission. I've got it down. I can tell it to you. Jesus is going to look and he's going to say, did you obey? The command was not to memorize. The command was to follow me. To go. You've been commissioned. You can go. So if you're looking at your life and you find no desire to love your enemies... What should you do? I'll turn to J.C. Ryle. If that be the case, we may be sure that we have yet to be converted. Salvation is required if you are going to love others with the love that Christ commands. That's not possible if you're not saved. Turn from your sins and call on Christ. Repent and believe in Christ. If you're looking at your life and you find no fruit in loving your enemies, What should you do? Should you examine yourself? Yes. Scripture calls us to examine ourselves. Should we talk to the Lord in prayer? Yes, you should do that. Also, after you examine yourself, after you talk to the Lord, after you confess your sins, you need to reorder your life. If you don't have time in this life to love your enemies, I dare say you're not following Jesus, you're following yourself. The commands of God, they are to be followed by us as God's children. The standards of God, they are to be our standards. If we are ignoring the commands of God and we're ignoring the standards of God, let's just be honest, we're ignoring God. And that's not a good place to be as a children of God. We're to meet with God. Out of joy, we do those things because Our joy is not found in our circumstances. Our joy is not found in loving our enemies. Our joy is not found in being persecuted. Our joy is found in Christ, in Christ alone. So if Christ is not our greatest joy in this life, if we are not resting and abiding in Christ, what we're talking about today won't happen. He is declaring This is how you are to live. Yes, but Christ must be everything. He must be everything for you. The commands of God, they are to be followed. And the standards of God are to be our standards. But as God's children, Christ must be where we find full, complete satisfaction. That is where we go and we abide and we rest 
as Jesus was on the side of the mountain teaching his disciples and they came to him and they sat down and they listened and he spoke to them. We as God's children, we are to go to the Lord. We are to sit down. We are to open up God's word and allow God to speak to us. If you need it out loud, read your Bible out loud. The Lord has given us how to know him, how to please him, how to worship him, the commands that we are to follow the standards in which we are to have. The world does not understand those things. We understand those things. Let's abide in those things and live to the glory of God. Amen. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I am so thankful that you have made clear we are not to hate our enemies. We are to love our enemies and to pray for those who are persecuting against us because ultimately, Lord, They are haters of you and they are persecuting you. Father, help us to find rest and satisfaction, great joy and delight in you. That you are enough, Lord. Draw us away from these trinkets that we have embraced and may we find complete and utter joy and full contentment in what you have given us in Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us when we have settled for things that are trivial, that are stupid toys on this earth that will rust and fade and they will not last. You have given us everything and it's stored in heaven with Christ. May our mind be so focused heavenly so that we will be an earthly good. Lord, this is our prayer. Do a work in us that can only be explained by you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.